The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. The providence of God is a strange thing, isn't it? how God works in the midst of humanity throughout our history, especially throughout the history of the church, as well as throughout the history of each one of us individuals, each one of us here. Sometimes it seems rather obvious. Sometimes it isn't at all. Sometimes it's even miraculous, but not often. For instance, James was martyred almost immediately. He'd finished his work. He'd done what he was supposed to do. Peter is miraculously delivered by an angel who opens prison doors. His his work is not finished. He has another form of suffering ahead of him. St. Paul, too, says, I've run the race, I've kept the faith. He's happy, he's finished. So one by the cross, the other by the sword. And so on through the history of the church, really, isn't it? The history of the church is a history of battle. For the first three or four centuries, her freedom was uh, limited to the point of martyrdom. That's how she lived. There were periods that were more peaceful than others, yes. The church was in so many ways the enemy, even into the fourth century. As our Lord said, it would be. And then there was some peace. And not for long. Then came the barbarian invasions, the rise of Arianism. The church was attacked again. Martyrs. Pope sent into exile. And then, the rise of Islam. That changed everything still. 
At one time, there were over 600 bishops in Northern Africa. Today, there are six. Or were. That's an old statistic. So the church goes on, doesn't she, through all of it. The split between the East and the West, and the church loses her freedom. The Reformation. I mentioned the last time I spoke at one of these that in 1534, in England, there were over 800 abbeys, monasteries, and convents. At 1535, there were none. Who would have thought such a thing could happen? How did it happen? St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher and all the great English martyrs had no idea that all of a sudden they would be marked, marked for death, simply because they believed and would not give up. Their freedom was taken away, as well as their lives. But the church went on. The church doesn't stop. The church can be persecuted, she can be weakened, but she cannot be destroyed. And she will always come back with a greater strength. And then... That one period of the French Revolution, there's a rather remarkable blessed, he's never been canonized, I think, blessed Noel Pinot. Most people have never heard of him. He was born in 1747, became a priest, parish priest. In 1788, everything was still thought to be peaceful. The revolution didn't happen exactly overnight, but no one thought of it in 1788 or few people did. He was made an abbe, a pastor. And in 1789, the revolution came. In 1790, there was the civil constitution of the clergy, which was directly attacking the church. And he, like other priests, refused to take the oath, for which he was imprisoned. He wasn't allowed to function at all. And then there was a, a reaction. He was free for a while. And then again, a repression. He went around saying Mass in private, visiting the sick, anointing people, baptizing. But finally, he was caught. He was betrayed, as so often happens, by someone to whom he had shown great kindness. He was arrested wearing Mass vestments, thrown in prison for 12 days, roughly treated. At the end of 12 days, he was asked to take the oath again. He refused and was sentenced to the guillotine. He went to the guillotine, still wearing his mass vestments. On the way, he said those words, the old beginning of the prayers at the foot of the altar, Introibo ad altare dei, deum creativicat juventutem meam. I will go unto the altar of God, the God who gives joy to my youth. He was going to offer his last sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself. And so on through history, repression of the church in the 19th century. Bismarck repressed the church in Germany, Prussia. Bismarck hated the church so much that he once said to somebody, I couldn't sleep last night, I was awake all night hating, hating the church. Followed by, of course, the isms, Nazism, and finally, who would have thought in Eastern Europe in 1938, the beginning of 1945, they would be slaves of this horrible regime, this horrible ism, communism, until 1989. They did their very best to wipe out the church. Remember Stalin's remark when he was told when he was about to do something, what will the Pope think? And he said, how many legions does the Pope have? Well, they found out how many legions the Pope has and what kind they are. So the church goes on. But the church is always fighting for her freedom. We don't think about that much, or we haven't in the past, have we? It seemed pretty obvious. 
even through the know-nothing movement in this country in the late 19th century when Catholics were persecuted. You know, when they were building the Washington Monument, the Pope sent a, a stone to the United States to be part of that monument. The know-nothings threw it on the Potomac, where it remains to this day. But it seems like we are accepted, doesn't it? But then again, are we? I don't think so. Things have changed again, haven't they? Our freedom is not as secure as it once was. We wouldn't be here tonight if it had been. Things have changed. But there was no invasion from outside. There were no armies marching in. There were no tanks as there were in Hungary to put them down. There are no great revolution, no violence. Well, there's some minor violence, but not of that kind. But what's changed to cause the church to be so threatened in this day and age that we celebrate a fortnight for freedom? What's changed is something that to some extent we allowed to change. We allowed in the armies. We allowed the revolution. And sometimes we didn't even see it coming. Now we're going to have to pray, and I really mean pray, and we're going to have to fight. Not armed, hopefully, but we're going to have to become a different people. In the last five, six decades, we've done very little because we thought everything would be just fine. All the time that our entertainment, our media were changing. Our morality was changing virtually overnight. Not overnight exactly, but year by year. Things that were unimaginable ten years before became imaginable, and people said, well, it's just changed. That's the way it's supposed to be. The church has said, no, it isn't. It's not only opposed to faith, it's opposed to reason, it's opposed to the natural law, but still it goes on. So we had to, or rather we watched the breakdown of the family. We've watched the threatening of innocent life in the womb and its destruction. We've watched the, the perversion of marriage from one man, one woman, and a family to even same sex. We've watched other twistedness in our world. The degradation of the sacredness of human sexuality has been smeared all over our media. And we've more or less accepted it. So why should we even be remotely surprised that anyone would expect the little sisters of the poor to pay for contraception? We opened the door for it, and all of a sudden it came. We began to feel a little threatened then, didn't we? That would seem for the moment to have subsided. But only for the moment, because the culture has been twisted. The civilization has been uh, marred. What will stop it? Will we ever take it seriously? I don't feel threatened at the moment. One of our servers asked me not long ago why I wore red piping on my cassock and red button. I pointed out that an honor brings greater responsibility. And that red is supposed to remind me that I'm supposed to be willing to shed my blood for the faith and do it willingly and joyfully if called upon to do so. That seems safe enough today. Will it be tomorrow? Who knows? We're all now familiar, aren't we, with, with the, the quote from Cardinal George. Some say Archbishop Chaput I think they both blamed it on one another. That's when he said, I will die in my bed 
My successor may die in prison, and his successor may be a martyr. It happens. Sometimes overnight, almost. Sometimes over decades, or even centuries. But now you would say, that's been a pretty depressing look at things. Is there hope? Of course there's hope. The problem is that God is always working in these things. When the church all of a sudden comes free, she bursts forth. Have you ever noticed in Scripture that the, the, the Lord sits at the right hand of the Father, except when the church is being persecuted, and then, according to the Scriptures, he stands at the right hand of the Father. God is bringing about a new church all the time. She's being purified. As St. Augustine said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. There's a painting up there of the martyrs in the catacombs. It's a beautiful painting. It's, it's a bishop presiding over the, martyrdom, the funeral of two martyrs, and one martyr is being entombed. That was a way of life for them. You will notice something about that painting. No one in that painting is bored at being at the liturgy. (laughs) They risk their lives to be there. And no one is sitting there grumbling and squirming because they're not getting anything out of it. They got there, and they knew that more often than not, the reason for them being caught in martyrdom was because they insisted upon attending the Eucharist, attending the Mass, being present for that action. That's where most of them were caught because they insisted upon that. Now people will say to us, well, you will always have the freedom to worship. And our response is, no, we will not settle for the freedom to worship. We insist upon the freedom to live it and to proclaim it as we want to. Don't just tell us that you're going to limit us to worship. We won't settle for that. It affects every last element of our lives. And we will fight for that. We will fight for it legally. We will be very present and very visible about it, whatever may happen, because we know that that's what we must do. We are called to it by God. Remember, we are part of God's providence. God in his providence has made our free will part of it. He's given us a role to play in his causality. We have something to say about what happens. God can bring something good out of the worst things that we do, however horrible, uh, however barbaric. But nevertheless, he works through us. That's how his providence works. We brought sin and suffering into the world. All he did was bring redemption. The cross is the great liberator. We want freedom of religion. That's where freedom came from. That's how we got it. That's how it remains. And if we are people of the cross and people of the Eucharist, we may be certain of freedom, whatever that might mean, however much we may be opposed. It's always amazing to me that, you know, the media, the culture is so out to get us. The media will focus only on us. They'll accuse us of scandals. Have there been? Yes. But compared to others, we're squeaky clean, Catholic clergy and institutions. You won't hear that, though, even though the government statistics tell us that. But the world doesn't want that. The world will come after us, as the popes have learned over the centuries, too, from their persecution. In any event, though, there is, as I said, always hope. We are here to make sure that through our prayers and through our lives, that that freedom remains. But first of all, it must be a matter of prayer. And then it must be a matter of not allowing what's happened in the last 50 years or 60 years to happen again, whereas we sort of subside and let it happen to us. I'm not even sure the American hierarchy realized what was happening around them. They would have done more about it. But you know, some time ago, at one of our week Sunday Masses, I quoted a section from Hilaire Belloc that I'd like to quote again. Um, 
because it fits our age. We're living in a new barbaric age. Have you noticed that? Or we're very sophisticated in many ways, but our actions are barbarians, those of barbarians. Our morality, again, our media, uh, the, things, the things we kill, the innocent that we kill. And he said this about barbarians, about us. He said, we sit by and watch the barbarian. We tolerate him. In the long periods and stretches of peace, we are not afraid. And we are tickled by his irreverence. His comic inversion of our old certitudes and fixed creeds refreshes us. We laugh. But as we laugh, we are watched by large and awful faces from beyond. And on these faces, there is no smile. The good news is, for us, by the way, that that power has been destroyed. If only we are willing to accept the victory and be part of it. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you rejoicing in the victory of your apostles, Peter and Paul, and trusting in your love and mercy. For the church throughout the world, especially where she is persecuted, for the Holy Father, for our bishops, for her freedom, for the freedom of all religion, we pray to the Lord. For all nations of the world, they will respect the freedom of the church. For all those nations who are hostile to the church for their conversion, especially for people who suffer in Islamic and communist countries, we pray to the Lord. For all those who are sick and suffering and dying, the lonely, the frustrated, and the confused, that the power of the cross may transform their lives. We pray to the Lord. For a greater respect for human life, especially the lives of the unborn, that they will have the freedom to live, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, and those young men and women who will have the courage of the apostles, especially in our own age, for a greater reverence for the apostolic nature of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. For all those who protect our freedoms, especially the military, we pray to the Lord. For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, all who have died on the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. And for all of us here, that we will 
Speak out fearlessly for the freedom of the Church. We will pray always for that freedom and be visible signs courageously of that freedom. We pray to the Lord. We now join our prayers to those of the Queen of Apostles and the Queen of Martyrs as we sing. Oh. 